warning before we start. This episode includes discussions of sexual abuse. Act One. In the middle of the journey of our life, I found myself within a dark woods. Fellowship of Friends Angel Dante Alighieri. Clear. Break on. Okay, all pressure's off. Do you want to take your, uh, your headset out here? I'm sitting on the passenger side of a small twin-engine airplane. All right, ready to go? Ready to go. The pilot, Peter, is a member of the Fellowship of Friends. It's an elite and secretive spiritual organization. Ex-members have said it's a doomsday cult. The Fellowship has hundreds of members and centers around the world, but the headquarters are here, deep in the Sierra foothills of Northern California. Peter, the pilot, is giving me an aerial tour of this compound. So you can see this place is already in the middle of nowhere. The compound is called Apollo. It's an opulent 1,200-acre estate surrounded by forest. This all used to be cultivated, why? We fly over the vineyards, they have their own winery. I see an enormous limestone amphitheater, like something out of ancient Greece. There are also camels, bronze statues, and hundreds of palm trees. This strange Shangri-La hidden in the wilderness, I've never seen anything like it. It's mystifying. Then we fly over a palatial mansion surrounded by an expansive garden. This is the home of the Fellowship's leader, Robert Earl Burton. Robert is adored by his followers. To them, he's like a god. He teaches that to awaken, to transcend life and death, you should surround yourself with elegance. Renaissance art, ballet, Baroque music, and fine wine. When I started working on this story in 2018, I was hoping to profile a unique apocalyptic group that had survived through many failed doomsday predictions. I had no idea then just how strange and twisted things would get, or how this story would consume me. I've spent the last three years trying to understand the Fellowship and its dark secrets. I've traveled across the country speaking to nearly 100 members and ex-members. I've obtained court documents and government reports, and I embedded in their community for weeks, witnessing things no journalist has ever seen. I've come to realize the Fellowship has built an extraordinary world where extravagance fails cruelty. It has lured in thousands of members, all seeking enlightenment. They come to Apollo to be closer to the gods but many told me they only found a monster. Mm. 
No one lives with this kind of poetry in their life. It's filled with beauty in every corner. It's a reflection of our teacher. I met Robert and his state just catapulted me into myself. I thought, this guy's a magician. He actually started to refer to himself as a goddess in a man's body. If you say no to me, you're saying no to a god. You know, I didn't specifically give my consent. I was frozen at the time. The program was that it's a holy sex. The angels, they arrange it that he is supposed to have sex with his students. The only way to get to heaven was to allow him sexual activity with me. You gotta have the devil to make the angels work well. He is an amazing conscious teacher and also he's a sick fuck. This is Revelations. I'm Jennings Brown. I first heard about the Fellowship of Friends about four years ago, when I was working on a podcast called The Gateway, about a controversial spiritual guru named Teal Swan. I went to her commune in Costa Rica, where I met Teal, her followers, and her then-husband. He mentioned that his spiritual journey had begun decades ago when he joined the Fellowship, a spiritual group that teaches members secret esoteric knowledge so they can awaken and go to heaven. He said it was exhilarating at first. He was surrounded by brilliant people who helped him on his spiritual path. But eventually he started to see it as a dangerous cult led by a man who preyed on his students. I was curious, so I did some initial research. Turns out the fellowship is still very active and runs a winery. I saw photos and videos of their compound. It seemed like fantasy. A monastery in backwoods California where the members live off the land and guzzle wine, surrounded by art and music. Was it paradise or something sinister? I found articles about a lawsuit against the fellowship in 1996. A young male follower alleged that the leader, Robert, began sexually abusing him when he was 17. Robert had also allegedly sexually abused the man's father. The suit was settled out of court. But since then, there's been virtually no reporting on abuse within the fellowship. I wanted to know, what are things like now? So I reached out to the fellowship through the website of their winery called Renaissance. I sent an email saying I wanted to visit the estate and maybe write an article or produce a podcast about the fellowship. The next day, I got a response from the fellowship's president, Greg Holman. He said that he was open to a visit. I think I caught him at a good time, because just that morning, the San Francisco Chronicle had published an article praising the fellowship's wine, and sales were way up. 150 or 60 orders, actually. Wow. So this is an entirely new customer base. That's Talking to Greg, I started to realize the fellowship is so much more than a religion. The Fellowship of Friends, which owns Renaissance Winery totally. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm also president of it, as well as the winery. Okay. Greg runs the non-religious side of the organization, the business operations. I told him that when I first heard about the fellowship, I wasn't sure that I could believe it. It seemed like a myth. I thought this guy was making it up. It didn't seem real. Hey, believe me, we shake our head half the time. <laughs> trying to believe it's real or not. And thought I'd reach out and see there might be some interest on your, on your side. Yeah, there might be. I mean, I think we have a very unique story. 
It should be interesting to see how it comes out. I don't have any imagination of what it's going to be uh, as an end-all story, but it should be uh, a good one to tell. Greg was right. There is quite a story to tell. Certain angels wrote a play for humans to enact, the play of the Fellowship of Friends. Everything that ever happened regarding the Fellowship, it's all part of the play. To get to the Fellowship's headquarters, I have to fly to San Francisco, then rent a car and drive three hours northeast to Oregon House, California. Okay, about 15 or so miles from Oregon House, California. It's a town with a population of less than 1,500, located in one of the poorest counties in the state, Yuba County. The area has become infamous as a hotbed of marijuana farms and meth labs but it's also home to the Fellowship of Friends compound called Apollo. Most of the property immediately surrounding Apollo is owned by members. Really feel like I'm in the boonies. As I record my observations, I feel a little like Agent Dale Cooper driving into Twin Peaks. The closer I get, the more desolate it feels. It's all forest and farmland. It's a cloudy night, kind of foggy. I keep smelling skunks. I lose cell service as I drive deeper into the woods, which, again, are predominantly populated by farmers, meth cooks, and members of an alleged doomsday cult. Turn right onto Royal's Trail. Whoa, okay. This is definitely just a trail. Oh, that is, um, that's a skunk. Do not spray me, skunk. Oh, don't spray my car. Shit. Even though the fellowship president says I'm welcome out here, I'm worried about how other members and locals will perceive an outsider. Just a junk pile. This is a place where you could get murdered in a movie version of this. You have arrived. Great. Jennings. Jennings, hey, how's it going? Good. I didn't plan this, but my Airbnb host is a member of the Fellowship. My host directs me to a small back house. It's surrounded by wilderness, tall ponderosa pine trees. It's pitch black aside from the house lights. After a long day of traveling, I go right to bed. Then I wake up a few hours later to the most unpleasant alarm of my life. That? Outside my window, there's a parrot. It sounds like it's screaming, oh my God. I found out later that this parrot belonged to the fellowship's leader, Robert. He kept it in his home at Apollo, but apparently he got sick of the sounds it made, so he gave it to my host. What is this bird seeing? I leave the house and drive around until I find a spot with cell service. Then call Greg to sort out our plans for the next day. I'll meet you down at our guard gate gate house and we'll go from there. I will put together a cadre of people. I may even throw a, a negative ringer in there just for the fun of it. Somebody doesn't agree with everything. Whatever, I'll give you as much leeway as you need and, and uh, we'll see what comes of it. It feels like I'm in a good place with Greg. He trusts me enough to let me into Apollo. 
But then as I start to end the conversation, he shows a hint of reluctance. Okay. Well, I, uh, I look forward to meeting you at 930 tomorrow then. Thank you, Jimmy. All right. You have a good one. I, I'm just I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, it just seems like you picked a, uh, a curious subject. I'm assuming that you have no particular negative agenda. It just seems like a world, like something I would be interested in. I don't know. I just, I, I knew that this might be a, a good time. It is a good time. I like to think of it as a crossroads time where we as an aging population have to recalculate where we go as an organization in order to survive. But I didn't know how much time I had to kind of capture it and, and be able to, to document it and, and understand the story and the history. I, I like it. It's like following a, a treasure map and figuring something out, isn't it? Before I enter Apollo, I want to learn more about what it's like inside. So I've arranged an interview with someone who left the fellowship and still lives in the area, Gideon Beanstalk. Hey, looking for Gideon? Uh, is that a question? Or? I'm, I'm looking for Gideon. Let's see if he's inside the door. Gideon was the winemaker for the fellowship's vineyard, Renaissance. There he developed his own style of biodynamic farming and natural winemaking decades before natural wine would become wildly trendy. He has since become one of the most iconic California winemakers of his generation, a vanguard of the natural wine movement. Gideon left the fellowship in 2010 to start his own vineyard and farm. That's where I'm meeting him. Looks like Fox News is here. Good to meet you. <laughs> Hello. Nice to finally meet you. I'm Jennings. Okay. He's in the thick of harvest season. It's his busiest time of the year, but he agrees to let me shadow him if I stay out of his way while he works. Gideon is wearing a worn-out collared shirt and cargo shorts with a knife in his belt. He's got a beard and wild curly hair. This press, it's called a, a Wilmes press. It's a he looks like a sage hobbit as he climbs around antique machinery and shovels grapes. Going the center of this. As he explains to me his process, it's clear how much he loves his craft. When you stick your hands physically into a tub like this and you sense that rush of the bubble, the CO2, the intensity of life during fermentation is something that I've never experienced anywhere. And I still love this. Gideon's from Israel, but joined the fellowship in Paris in the late 70s. He moved out to Apollo soon after that. They mentioned the fact that in the headquarters, which is in Oregon House, California, they were developing a vineyard and a winery. And they say that it's all built by members. So that sounds like a nice thing to be involved with. So I came here in the end of 1979. And I joined the planting crew. We planted about 110 acres that year. And I did most. It was a Herculean effort by members who weren't being paid. They worked long, grueling days. By the end, they had 365 acres of vines, which is a lot of grapevines all planted along terraces they dug out of a craggy mountainside. It was the largest mountain vineyard in America. The vineyard there was mind-blowing. And so I kept increasing my knowledge about wine and so on, but into the winery I only got about 15 years later. And they made me... Gideon started out as a winemaking apprentice, but eventually took over as the winemaker. I think intuitively I got it. It's really not about the winemaker. It's about the vineyard. You only usher something out. Under Gideon's control, the Fellowship's winery entered its golden age in the 90s. Renowned wine critic James Halliday praised Renaissance in 93, writing, 
If there is a more remarkable vineyard in California, I did not see it. I can only suggest you move heaven and earth to make an appointment, for you will see both when you arrive. But things started to change after the sexual abuse allegations became public in 96. It became clear that at least some people were saying that Robert's actions caused them pain or suffering or whatever. The reports tarnished the fellowship's reputation and the winery fell from grace. A lot of members left and recruitment slowed, so the fellowship wasn't getting as much income that it could pump into the vineyard. They reduced production. Later, in 2015, the fellowship ceased production altogether, but it still has a giant stockpile of wine for sale. Gideon eventually lost interest in the fellowship's teachings and left to focus on this vineyard. He says that the abuse allegations played a minor part in his decision to leave. One of the many things that were in my but I'm surprised how detached he is. Because I have a part of me that sees things in a fatalistic kind of a way. Shit happens to people. So it's a little bit like the spider sitting in his cobweb, and if you are attracted to whatever it is that you're attracted, you may pay for it. Now what is your understanding of what was actually happening like? Well, he was organizing things so that he can satisfy his appetites. And unfortunately, it's involving his position as a spiritual teacher. To me, that is his crime. Because the fact that he's trying to make things happen so that he can have endless chain of young people, fine. I don't care. But to envelop this in the world of, I'll be your spiritual teacher, to me, is not acceptable. Do you have, like, an estimate for how many people were coerced into having sex with him? Not really. I, I'm, I would guess that it will be in the hundreds, but... Hundreds? What Gideon was alleging was horrifying. By this point, I knew of the cases reported decades ago, but he was the first person to tell me there were many, many more who could have been hurt. After meeting with Gideon, I'm even more eager to see inside the Fellowship's headquarters. But I'm also more fearful. If what Gideon is saying is anywhere close to true, then the Fellowship is potentially concealing something much worse than I had first imagined. Good morning, Jenny. This is Greg Holman. After the break, I go to Apollo. Upon looking you up, it seems you like to do exposés and podcasts on alternative religious organizations, which is not something we'd be very much interested in talking to you about. Maybe. Currently driving down a narrow one-lane road to get to Renaissance. As I approach the Apollo entrance, I see a small gatehouse framed by palm trees. And then I get a blip of cell service, and I see I have a voicemail. It's from Greg, the president. Good morning, Jenny. This is Greg Holman. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, so two things. We won't be able to meet today. I've come down with a very bad case of the flu. And uh, secondly, well, I wanted to speak with you more at some point about the fact upon looking you up, it seems you like to do uh, exposés and podcasts on uh, alternative religious organizations, which is not something we'd be very much interested in talking to you about. Thank you. Goodbye. I'm frustrated. I've wanted to see this compound for weeks. And after talking to Gideon, I want to learn more about Robert and the dynamics of the fellowship. 
But now I'm stranded out in the wilderness alone with no cell service and an outspoken parrot, surrounded by members of a community that may be concerned about exposure. With Apollo unreachable for the day, I try to find more former members to talk to. There's an online forum where ex-members post anonymously about their experiences. I start messaging people there, and it doesn't take long for me to find some who are willing to meet. My name is Alan Green. I joined the Fellowship of Friends November 1974 and left on April Fool's Day 2016. I meet Alan at his home a few miles away from Apollo. He joined in L.A. and moved out here after a little detour. I had to go serve a little time in prison for three months, so that was just a half a year after I had joined the fellowship. Do you mind saying why? No, no, I don't mind. I'm I'm happy to. (laughs) The insurance company I worked for, we were running the biggest insurance fraud that the Guinness Book of World Records ever knew about. They listed it for 10 or 15 years. Yeah, it was pretty good. That got written up in Rolling Stone. Really? Yeah, photo by Annie. Leibowitz. Wow, yeah. Did the whole bit. Of you? Me. Wow. <laughs> it was cool. And then I went to prison. <laughs> Wasn't a bad experience. So you stayed interested while you were in... Yeah. So you're looking at a devotee here. Because it was minimum security, I was able to bring all my books in. And I had visitors from the fellowship every couple of weeks. And even Robert Burton, the teacher, was sending messages... What kind of messages was Robert sending you? Oh, he would send stuff like, remember, everyone out here is in prison also. They just don't know it. You know, little inspirational things. So then I actually moved up here to Oregon House, to the property. I was immediately confronted with three predictions that were already on the books. Predictions. Doomsday predictions. Based on messages that Robert receives from angels. 44 angels to be exact. These angels all became enlightened beings during their time on Earth. It's a pantheon that includes Shakespeare, Da Vinci, Rembrandt, Bach, Sophocles, oh, and one woman, Queen Elizabeth. These angels speak to Robert, delivering spiritual guidance and omens that Robert shares with his followers. These doomsday predictions have been sent from the angels multiple times over the last 50 years. The first prediction was a worldwide depression in 1984, leading to major wars. It was going to be kind of a cataclysmic depression that was supposedly going to destroy civilization. Then there was a second prediction. There would be massive earthquakes to pretty well destroy California, what was known as the fall of California. And... We all prepared for that. Robert said Apollo was perfectly positioned so that it would survive the earthquakes and become beachfront property. In all these predictions, the outcome is that Apollo and the Fellowship survive, while the rest of the world is destroyed. And then when it comes Mm -hmm. and goes... He would say, they did that to humiliate me, to give me humility. As in, the angels lied to Robert about the predictions to teach him a lesson. How great, my teacher is even more humble. And then the third prediction was to be a nuclear holocaust, a nuclear war, and everything gets wiped out, except us, of course. 
The Fellowship has been preparing for Armageddon ever since they started building Apollo. The winery was constructed as a nuclear fallout shelter as well as a winery. This is Ames. Ames Gobert, that's the name I'm known as here in the States. Back in Britain, it's Ames Moore Gilbert, double-barrel name. Ames is another ex-member. He helped build Apollo from the ground up, including the winery. What did that involve? Our own concrete plant, an awful lot of concrete. Just the amount of rebar, all done to the very highest standards by fellowship crews. All this construction was fulfilling Robert's vision of a new empire, based on the messages he received from the 44 angels. William Shakespeare, Rembrandt, Johann Sebastian Bach, Dante Alighieri, Walt Whitman, Joseph... Son of Certain Jacob, angels wrote a play for humans to enact. And the play was called The Play of the Fellowship of Friends. And everything that ever happened regarding the fellowship it's all part of the play. The play. The angels are the playwrights. Robert is the director. All his followers are the actors. It's something he's been teaching from the beginning. The earth is an ancient theater. This is Robert Burton. It's a recording of him speaking to his followers in the 70s. When one verifies that a play has been written for every day of the remainder of one's life. A play has been written for every day of one's life. And even one's second of expiration is determined. Then one can neither go beyond one's fate, nor can one fail to reach one's fate. Robert is the only one who knows the plot because he's the only one who can hear the 44 angels. And this play, it's still happening. The next scene in the play is another predicted apocalyptic event. And what's going on with the fellowship these days? Robert is still making predictions for the end of the world, the next one coming in October, October 21st, to be specific. October 21st, 2018. That's one month away from when these interviews are taking place. Robert has told his followers that in one month, there will be a cataclysmic event that could wipe out life on Earth. The only place that he knows is safe is here in Oregon House, California. Which means I've started working on this story just in time to witness how an alleged doomsday cult prepares for the end and what happens within the community when that day comes. The day after my interview with Alan, Robert speaks to his followers about the prediction. I know because a source sent me videos of some of these meetings. In this meeting, Robert looks out over his students and begins with a countdown. 41 days today. Tuesday it's 39 and it's uh, 911 also Tuesday. He's getting old. 79 in this recording. He's wearing a navy suit with a floral tie, pink pocket square, a white boutonniere, and a cameo necklace showing the profile of a woman's face. These meetings take place in a large tent at Apollo, filled with tapestries, rugs, and lanterns. It looks vaguely Indian or Middle Eastern, but most of the people inside are white. The fellowship recruits from all over the world, Latin America, China, Japan, Turkey, but most of the members are white Americans, Europeans, and Russians. About a hundred or so of them come to these meetings that happen three to five times a week. Many more log into the fellowship's members-only website and watch the meetings from home. Robert has ramped up meetings and events in the weeks leading up to Armageddon. 
The 21st of uh, September in 30 days. So we're making our way there. And the closer it gets, the faster it's going. I didn't expect that. He says that California will fall into the ocean, triggering an economic collapse. And then global unrest will bring about a nuclear holocaust. As he's talking about the doomsday, he mentions students who have died over the years. He says these people completed their roles. But all the students who completed their role, they do so well. And we'll have a tough time doing as well as they did, but we should also perform well. We should also perform well. He reminds the students they're all actors in a play. Nothing but two stories here. There's no need for distortion because the truth is stranger than fiction. Is that something? Truth is stranger than fiction. I am so curious what's going to happen on Doomsday. How will the members respond? And why does Robert keep making new predictions after each one fails? It's a way to winnow out people who might be doubters or problems. I meet another ex-member while I'm in the area. I joined in 1976, and I left in 1995. She asks that I not use her name, so I'll be calling her Mary. I knew I was in a cult, but I didn't know I was in such a destructive cult. She was around for the first prediction date, an economic collapse in 84. I ask her what she thinks about this new prophecy. What do you think is going to (laughs) happen? I don't know, but it will be dramatic, and it will suck people in, and it will create states. Create states. This is a fellowship thing. Mary says one of Robert's main powers as a charismatic leader is creating ethereal states that feel like religious experiences. He's very good at orchestrating beautiful events, things in the evening, under the moon, candlelight, champagne, the very best, people dressed in tuxedos, pouring your wine for you, the very finest food. You feel really special. That's the whole point. It's a state. So he does create states, but they don't last. So you have to go back for more. Do you think anything dangerous could happen? I hope not. I have friends there, smart friends, and it's hard to imagine them doing something really destructive, like the Jones scenario. As in the Jonestown Massacre. And yet, who knows? Do you think I need to be worried for my safety? I definitely think you should be prudent. Ames also warned me to proceed with caution, but for a different reason. This wrecking of people's psyche and humiliating them, putting them in a position of prostitution, that's what I'd like to warn people about. He's concerned that if I get close, even I could be enticed to join. If you did fall under the spell, I would regret it. You're the kind of person Burton would come onto. What about me? You have a refreshing, open face. You're cute. Just the kind of person that he likes. (laughs) You're very nice, but switch off any naivety, because he loves that. That's what he takes advantage of, you know. There's something lying unsuspected, some kind of weakness in us all. These are very capable people and successful. There are doctors and rich businessmen and PhDs around every corner. 
these are not the people that you would normally associate with a cult. There's something there that wants to believe, that wants to have answers, and he knows how to take advantage of it. So that's sufficient warning. <laughs> would you like some banana bread? I don't think it's necessarily weakness that makes people susceptible to joining cults. People can join them because they want a community and care about living a meaningful life. They're idealists. They're skeptical of mainstream institutions and the status quo. It's people who are struggling and self-aware enough to know they need help. They're seekers who want to uncover hidden truths. With my trip coming to an end and the apocalypse looming, I want to see inside Apollo more than ever. I called, text, and email the president, Greg, multiple times. No response. He's either really sick or wants nothing to do with me or both. But I finally managed to find someone to give me a tour of the compound. I can't say who, but it's someone who has the right to access the property. Uh, so we drive past a member working security yeah. at the gatehouse and um, continue down a paved road lined with yeah. palm trees. So this is my first beat. Now, Apollo is about 150 miles from the coast. We're near the Sierra Nevada mountains. This is pine tree territory. But Apollo is filled with palm trees, hundreds of palm trees. It makes it feel like a secret oasis hidden in the foothills. A car passes us. I can see the driver scanning us from a few feet away. We drive by Baroque statues, the amphitheater, then the winery that apparently doubles as a nuclear fallout shelter. It's a large industrial facility with the facade of an ancient temple. It's the color of blood, same as the granite rock surrounding it. We drive up the side of a mountain, Mount Apollo. I get out when we reach the top. When I came out here, I had no idea what to expect. And now, the sudden change of hospitality, the scope of the allegations, the warnings, I'm overwhelmed and frankly, a little scared of what I could be getting myself into. I walk to the edge and look out over the Fellowship compound. I'm standing at one of the highest peaks of Renaissance Vineyard. and see sloping mountains, little ponds, the winery in the distance. It's beautiful. According to Robert Burton, this is going to be the safest place to be on October 21st. 2018, when the world ends. On the next episode of Revelations, the apocalypse. California will go first and then the stock market second, and never to recover. I, um, I want to ask, are you prepared? Yeah. Yes, I am prepared. I've done everything I could to put my life in order as if this is going to happen. You know, if you told me I'd be sitting out the last day before the crumble of civilization <laughs> next to Renaissance Winery looking out over Apollo, I would not have believed you. <laughs> have you ever thought that the gods wanted a reporter here on the eve of the production?
Revelations is a Spotify original from Parcast, Blumhouse, Vespucci, and Gilded Audio. This podcast is reported, written, and hosted by me, Jennings Brown. I'll be sharing source material and reporting that didn't make it into the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at tjenningsbrown. Follow me there. If you have any information you'd like to share about the Fellowship of Friends, please email revelationstipline at gmail.com or call 347-480-3527 and leave a voicemail. Production, sound design, editing, and original music by Dan Rosato. Drew Cole is our content writing lead at Parcast. Executive producers are Jennings Brown and Dan Rosato. At Parcast, Max Cutler and Drew Cole. At Blumhouse, Jason Blum, Chris McCumber, Jeremy Gold, and Mary Licio. At Vespucci, Johnny Galvin and Daniel Turkin. At Gilded Audio, Andy Chug. Additional production by Whitney Donaldson, Ivana Tucker, Sarah Joyner, and Nick Dooley. Fact-checking by Charles Richter. Opening narration by Viet Horej, artistic director of the Czechoslovak American Marionette Theater. If you are a survivor of sexual assault and need to talk to someone, call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 800-656-4673 or visit hotline.rainn.org. If you are outside the U.S., Pathways Safety International can be reached at 833-SAFE-833.